Welcome back, everybody, to this week's episode of We Are TPM with Kyle and John Shera again, as always. We are here this week to discuss with you the third piece of our how to pick a great property manager. How a great property manager can make you more money. There you go. Part three. By messing up that statement. No. <laughs> Part three, we talk about tenant screening, tenant selection. So. Yep. Yep. Really, really important, right? Like we've talked about so far some, some important stuff. We've talked about, um, maintenance and, you know, keeping your, your rent rates at, at market value. That's pretty important, but you know, probably just as important is this tenant selection topic we're about to talk about today. One of the things I hear all the time, Kyle, there's an old phrase in, in what we do, um, it's tenants and toilets, right? It's a phrase to describe the reasons why people don't want a rental property, right? Because mm-hmm. they don't want to deal with tenants and toilets. Well, A, it gets you a property manager, and B, maybe you're doing it wrong. Yeah, that's a fear-based decision if I ever heard one, that's for <laughs> sure. So I always laugh when I hear people say that, and and it's... People like to disseminate that, you know, it's a quick, easy, you know, tenants and toilets. Everyone's got, I always tell you, Kyle, you and I talk about it. We always have, you always hear the horror stories, right? Nobody tells the good stories about property management or about owning a rental property. Nobody says the boring story. Hey, I've owned this rental property for 15 years and it's made me, you know, Twelve thousand six hundred dollars a year, and now I'm, you know, now it's worth three times as much as it was when I bought it twenty-two years ago. That's, I mean, in summation, that seems like a n- nice story, but nobody tells it, right? Everyone tells when the tenant leaves the place trashed, and it cost me six thousand dollars to fix up. Well, yeah, nobody wants to hear that story because they think it's the one-off case. When in reality, it's the majority. And what you just mentioned, the story you always hear is is the minority there. So it's. Well, it's the same reason the news stations choose what they're going to run, mm-hmm. right? It's it's what people want to talk about. It's people what people want to tell and what people want to hear. Or what they want to tell and what they want you to hear. Either one. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so let's get into the topic, Kyle, because this is really important. Um, let's start with detailed screening. And I'm going to talk a little bit about kind of base it on what we do, what you and I do, right, mm-hmm. Kyle? Because we feel like we feel like we do things uh, a cut above the rest, you know, definitely a cut above most other people, but even a cut above other property managers, I, I think. We put more, a lot more into every aspect of our business, but really this one especially, right? Yeah, because it's, um, I mean, there's not more or less an industry standard for how the screening process go. And it, maybe it's not a standard, it's more of a standard expectation where we have a standard way of doing it for us. It just isn't, you know, it's sometimes surprising or, or whatever, but it's not in line with how most do it because you know, our, our mindset is how most do it isn't looking at the all pieces and all factors of the puzzle that you that you need to look at to screen a tenant for being a good tenant and are they going to pay the rent. So mm-hmm. um, at the end of the day, those are the those are why That's, they're being screened. Yeah. So yeah. I feel like and this is why how, how we've gotten our standard of doing it is looking at what items show you those things. So, and that's what we're going to get into. Yeah. And and you just nailed the first thing I wanted to get into is, is the biggest thing is just collecting the correct information, 
right? Like, like get the information that you actually need from a potential applicant. I can't believe how many times, Kyle, have you seen us, we've taken over a tenant on a property and we find out that we don't even have social security numbers. We don't have driver's licenses. We don't have very much on the tenant at all. And it varies way too much. I mean, you could I could pick up a bulk of eight properties that were all managed by the same landlord or the same property manager. And for this property, I have this. And this property, I have this. I have a different mm-hmm. lease for this one. I mean, it, it needs a standard. It's not just for your operations, but for your clients, for your tenants to make sure that uh, when something's needed or you're expected to have it, it's not even a question of checking. It's just like, yeah, we have that because that's part of our process. So... We're going to get into this, but that all becomes part of your selection process, right? So things like copy of driver's license, social security note card, um, or actually just the social security number is really all we need. Income documents, um, just contact information, right? How do we get a hold of you? What does your prior residence look like? Those are the kind of things that we're looking for on an upfront application that if you can't provide that stuff, maybe... Maybe your maybe that's not the tenant that we want to put in one of our properties. Yeah, and, and maybe jumping ahead here a little bit, but uh, what you're describing is a completed application. Mm-hmm. Um, we it's it's part of our standard and part of our standard process is we require a completed application to one be considered, one to even be ran. Um, that's just to keep it same way for everybody. Make sure we you know process everything the same way and make decisions the same way. <laughs> So my coach tells me, Kyle, you, you, I don't know if you know this or not, but he tells me about selecting employees or people that we work with on our team, right? You and I kind of go through this all the time about, you know, how do we choose this person or that person? And, and sometimes creating a system for that person to be able to follow a list of instructions that may seem redundant or don't have anything to do with the job, so to speak. At least it tells you that this person can follow instructions. Yeah, I mean, it's not an unrealistic expectation for us to have. You're applying to lease a property. A leased property has a lease. That lease is a set of instructions that you're signing on to follow while you live in the property. So if the smaller document (laughs) that gets you there um, can't be done completely, I'm not even going to say right, but just can't even be followed and done completely, then what sense does it make mm-hmm. to get you to step two? Yep, so that's right. Um, it's a hard thing to explain sometimes, but I need, you know, I need, I need a need to get you what you need. It's can you follow instructions, right? And it just kind of goes to, to showing you who you're dealing with because you're going to have to deal with this person for the next year, two years, three years, however long they live there. Right. Correct. Yep. Correct. All right. Well, you're right. We did. We jumped ahead. We jumped over some important stuff. So, so let's get into our screening a little bit because our screening process is pretty intense and it starts with some basics that everyone would, would recognize or, or expect and a credit check, right? We do a credit check, but we don't, we personally choose not to um, focus so much on a FICO score, but more focus on what we see on that credit check. Because you can tell if somebody's currently paying bills, if somebody's currently able to pay their bills or not by looking at somebody's credit 
report. Yeah, I mean, what you're saying is like a common, very common question, probably the number one question we get about our application process because it's not explicitly listed like most property managers' uh, requirements are, is what are your credit score requirements? And we always have answers you know, the same way. We don't have a credit score requirement. I'm not requiring you to have a certain score um, because credit scores do not tell me what I need to know to decide if you um, are a tenant who's going to pay their bills or can pay their bills. Those two things, um, at least in our judgment, do not, you know, it's not a loan, you're, uh, which is what credit scores are mainly used for. Um, it, you're, you're considering something completely different. So it's, it's looking at the data points of the credit report, um, you know, the delinquency history, how recent it is, how many many it is, um, the neglect to allow things to pile up or not pile up. And if it's a temporary problem six months ago, that's no longer a problem now. All of those things can be seen. Um, and we want to make sure that we consider the situation of the person that's applying, not a situation that happened three years ago, three rentals ago, um, you know, unless there's balances. But... Uh, how yeah? How they respect collections to landlords? Yeah, yeah. I don't want to be on the, there. We don't want to be the fourth landlord right. um, in line. Right. Uh, it's not a smart thing position to put you in. I mean, try to go get a home equity loan. That's the fourth lien holder. It doesn't happen. Um, there's a reason it doesn't happen. So yeah, you, you nailed it. And and so like the most important things we're looking at on those things is are you your current delinquencies right? It's kind of what you were saying was was things that are delinquent like in the recent past, but we're also looking at past sins. I love it on a credit report when I can see past sins and I can see an event and then I see recovery, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm okay with that. That might trash your FICO score, but I can see that there was an event that happened, you know, nine months ago. And since then, we've had recovery and great credit behavior, right? And just to your point using some common sense when we're looking at this report and making sure that we weed out the things that that pertain to us as property managers. Yeah. How is this person respecting the tenant landlord relationship when it comes to paying their bills? Yeah, and there's and there's multiple tying it back to a credit score is it, there's multiple reasons why you can't make that decision based on just a score. I've seen and, and this is very common, probably more common than people think. A lot There's a lot of people who don't use their credit, that don't tap into yep. a credit line and build credit and all that. Well, what does happen even to that common person is they, they'll get medical collections. Medical bills, mm-hmm. medical collections are very common. It's something we essentially don't even consider. So if that's the only thing on your credit report, then it's going to bring your non-score down to a low score and probably disqualify you from most applications. Well... If that score is low because you have two medical collections and nothing else, then you can't, you know, using a score to determine if they're going to pay their bills is not an accurate thing to do. I can't wait for the day, Kyle, that we're able to take medical collections off of our credit report and stop using them to in consideration of, of further credit, right? Because it's just, well, it's a, that's a separate conversation altogether, but, but yeah, we yeah, can't. It, that's definitely a separate conversation. <laughs> but while we're on the report, um, one of, this is a more recent thing, last couple of years, but it also shows us rent history. Um, there's Bureau for rent or Experian has a Bureau for rent history. Now most landlords use it and it 
you know, we have rental verification processes. That's that's its own separate thing. But if you can see active reporting from previous rentals or current rentals, um, give you a really good picture. You know, that credit report's not only telling you if they're paying their bills, it could tell you definitively they haven't been late in the last 12 months at their current rental. And when it started or, you know, the information you get there varies, but it, it's another thing we look at and can help solidify things, especially if a low score with medical collection has 24 months of perfect rental history, right? Because yeah. so, it doesn't affect your credit score, even though it's on there. Right. So. Yep. Um, all right. So the next thing, Kyle, that we, we would do and, and look at is, is criminal checks. And um, really what we're looking for is just, again, those past sins, right? Mm-hmm. And I, we, you and I have always been of the same uh, mindset regarding this. We pretty much – I don't want somebody who's currently got a bunch of criminal history, right? And if it shows that they've, they're a career criminal, so to speak, what they call, right? Somebody is constantly being arrested and has a criminal history that, that goes right up to now. I don't want to put that person in my in one of my houses knowing it's going to be a future problem. And then, but the big one is felonies because this is kind of like an industry standard, no felonies. And you and I have taken a little bit different, different approach to no felonies. We kind of tell people no felonies, but what we really mean is that, you know, they need a written explanation, something that we can get approved by our homeowner and put in their file. Because the reality is some of us, have felonies from, I don't know, when we were 18, 19 years old, we did something stupid, and now they're 38 years old, still still having to live with that mistake. Yeah, and it's another thing about requirements. We don't require or, or put in the requirements of any of our properties, no felonies, no what, whatever convictions we're talking about. It's, it's a case-by-case basis because it, it's tied into the entire decision of is this tenant sustainable in this property and will they pay their bills? Well, ex- asking them to explain a felony um, is just an expectation that homeowners have that um, will allow us to still consider you on that property. So mm-hmm. it's not the other end of it where right. we need you to defend yourself. That's that's never the case. It's, you know, we know people make mistakes. We know there's history that may be right, wrong. You know, it doesn't paint right. the picture of the person now. Um, and that's, that's not what we're trying to knock you down for. Um, it's just to consider fully the whole picture and, and get those two data points figured out. So. I, I think we're in both of those things we've said, po- talked about FICO score and uh, felonies. We're probably the exception for, for bigger property managers. I think they have a tendency to be, I don't know if I want to call it lazy, but they just don't put enough thought into it. And they just want to do like a blanket no felonies, credit score must be 620 type of thing, right? Yeah, and you, you, I mean, we know this, but you got to remember you're, you're running a rental application. So your criminal history only applies to the items that affect the rental or could affect the rental or may cause something to affect the rental. Right. Things outside of that realm, um, while we may need an explanation to get it through an approval process, it's not part of the consideration for if you can be a renter of that property unless the history or what the history shows says it could be a problem at that property or it disqualifies you from complex rules, things like that. But 
you know, your, your mistakes or the criminal history is a criminal history for the things they apply to and rental, rental, everyone needs a place to live. Mm -hmm. So disqualifying people who have any kind of criminal background, um, just on a blanket basis, you know, if everyone did that, you'd be guaranteeing everyone with a criminal history is homeless, right? So it's just not the, um, it's not the way to consider someone for a rental. Kind of comes back to common sense, doesn't it? Yeah, you can call it that. <laughs> or standard processes. So so you touched on this one a little bit, Kyle. Just to move on to the next uh, next one, is there's a separate database for eviction screenings. Now, I know, I think this is being kind of merged in with what you talked about into experience database. I'm not, you know. No, I, that's straight uh, court history, public public record. Okay. So. Okay, so they're just going through through court. Uh, this database is basically just screening all the courthouses across the country and then giving us that information that this person has an eviction here in Tennessee or Wyoming or wherever so that we can see past our nose what eviction activity has happened. Yeah, and the one common thing people don't realize about eviction activity is it's not actually – it doesn't just show – an eviction. An eviction is a, you know, judgment for eviction and could even be a writ of possession that gets removal for eviction. But a filing of an eviction would show up, mm -hmm. you know, people can That's have right. eviction filings against them that never got kicked out of a home. Um, they need to know that for one, because most, most probably don't. Um, but it's also considered in it can tie into the, the decisions because if you got an eviction filing and then you had a year of perfect rental history after that, it shows me there was a you know hiccup in your life or whatever, but that's in the past. You showed that for a year. It's not going to be considered. If it happened last month, now we have to call that landlord and make sure that you're not currently under it and you know hasn't been reported, all that. So it can throw red flags, but it can also help solidify your situation. So. And if it's habitual, right? If it's habitual and you can see that this is something that happens periodically, right? That's a huge red flag. Um, that just goes to show that this person is not, again, respecting that relationship and going through the process of, you know, allowing, forcing their landlord to go through that eviction process. Yeah. So, all right, Kyle, um, let's see. We've got a social security verification that we do. Let's talk about that a little bit. That one is kind of right up your alley because you, you kind of catch these these little things sometimes. Yeah, that kind of ties into um, – well, it ties into the general picture of how to pick a great property manager, and I'll kind of go a little high level on that um, because it takes not just a great property manager or any property manager. It takes some experience doing things to – uh, know what you're looking at and what you're not looking at. And what I mean by that is if you run hundreds of rental applications per year, thousands, um, you should be able to get pretty good experience if you're trying to know what's fraudulent, what may not be fraudulent, what it, what you can, you know, what you know for mm -hmm. sure isn't fraudulent, all those type of things. If you only do it a handful of times per year, it's one way harder to catch two way harder to know what to do about it or what to ask, what questions to ask. Um, and a lot of that ties into social security verification because there is a lot of fraud in property management and in rental applications. And the social security verification verifies that that social matches the date of birth and the name. Um, sounds like a pretty simple process until you look at that 
identity fraud is a thing. It's something mm-hmm. that uh, we've come across, and I'm sure most property managers have come across. Th- that verification alone doesn't show you that. Um, the credit report that doesn't show an employer that pays your W-2 for the last two years, um, if that's what you're submitting to us and it's not on your report and you've applied for three credit lines in the last year, then that's a huge red flag because those would be on that credit report. Um, and it not being there makes you question the pay stubs. And then if you question the pay stubs and you know you're questioning the pay stubs, you know how to, not that you don't verify those as well, but um, trust me, people and technology these days is pretty uh, pretty tricky. Yeah, what I hear though is it's like, it seems simple verifying social security number, but it's just another piece of the puzzle that helps paint the whole picture for you so that you know you've got a legitimate application and you don't have any fraud happening, right? Yeah, I mean... You can't never know for sure, but yeah. <laughs> you can get your best experienced uh, confidence that that you not only are applying or running an application accurately, but accurate to the person who's going to live in the home. Yeah, yeah, and that the situation makes sense. So. so here's one that comes up from time to time that that maybe might people might be wondering, Kyle is is um, I ten numbers, I T I N numbers, I T I N numbers. We call them some people call them ten numbers, I ten I T numbers. Um, that is a number for a legal alien, right? That's here to work and they're paying their taxes, if I understand that right. Uh, and so it's not a social security number, but it's it's kind of a tax ID number. Yeah, it's it's tax it's a tax identification number. Um it to clarify that, it doesn't mean that you're a legal alien. Um it means you're you're not a U.S. citizen who is who is either working here or otherwise, and getting an ITIN number in in order to pay taxes and get a credit get credit in things and all that. So I do know it doesn't require it to be legal or illegal. Okay. Um, we all know that process takes forever. You can't knock people for not paying taxes. You won't let them until that process happens, right? So um, I do know it's not. Um, well, it's one any of the, kind of alien. So. Yeah, and so, but a lot of people that come here to this country um, and do so illegally, though, don't go through the process of getting an ITIN number, right? So the ones that do, right, at least they're they're reporting something, they're paying their taxes. We know where they are. They're acting like a citizen. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's it really just covers any non-U.S. citizen that that needs a tax identification number because there's work visas, there's mm-hmm. people yep. who are on temporary situations, all that stuff. But if you made money in America, um, you need an ITIN number in order to pay taxes on that money. Uh, unless, you know, you there, mm-hmm. there's exceptions to that situation, but, um, but it is a common question. Do you guys take ITIN numbers? Can you run ITIN numbers? Uh, the, the answer is yes, because, at the end of the day, it has a different name for a different reason, but so does an EIN number for employers. Mm-hmm. So does, you know, it's right. just like your social. It's a, at the end of the day, it's a tax identification number. We're going to run it and check your, you know, ITN numbers can have credit reports. They can have history. They can have all the same things your social has, so, except for U.S. citizenship. So. <laughs> <laughs> So let's move on to one of the next big things that we're checking. So now we've screened somebody. We've done all of these screenings that we just described. Um, One of the biggest things that we really – and this is probably the first thing that I tell people when they call me and say, hey, what's your your guidelines? It's income verification. Yes. 
And so we use, I, I would call this an industry standard. I think the method that we use uh, is three times the amount of rent and gross pay before taxes. I don't know. I think for the most part, it's when I talk to my colleagues, that seems like somewhat of an industry standard. It's definitely the most standardized piece of rental applications through, at least in our market and most markets around here, if not the whole country, is is three times, three times the monthly rent and gross monthly income collectively by all the applicants. So yep, right, but household income, yeah, yeah household exactly. income, yep. So. Let's talk about income verification then and how we do that. So there are several things that we do, but the easiest one, I guess, is we have a W-9 employee. That's somebody who has, who gets a paycheck every week, they pay their taxes, and um, they're able to give us 30 days pay stubs, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and usually that uh, you say the easiest because it's the most... It's the easiest to verify. Yep. It has the most information. Right. Shows up on these other verifications the most, um, and it, it's the easy math. It's where you get into self-employment and uh, 1099 and other situations where you have. It's not necessarily impossible. It's just you have more steps to the process. It also involves more um, responsive action by the applicant, you know, unless you've got us everything we asked for in the beginning, um, there's more questions to ask. There's usually more pieces that we have to verify. So, and, and to verify that for 1099 employees and self-employed employment, basically we use bank statements, right? And then we go through the process. That's a little harder. Like you said, we have to go through a process of figuring out what your income really is based on those bank statements and trying to create a history over the past 90 days. Yeah, b- bank statements and tax returns. Mm-hmm. So, and it's not that we're looking at, it's we're, we're trying to find a gross, just like we would be on a W-2. Right. Um, it's the only other way to show it. Uh, it's also one reason that when I talk to friends and people who do gig work or 1099 work or they're self-employed, um, the number one problem you can, it's not a problem, but the number one limitation that you can give yourself if you get paid in cash or you get paid directly is not put that money somewhere it can be tracked because if it can't be tracked it can't be verified and you can't ever use it as leverage um whether you're applying for rental whether you're applying for a heloc a line of credit any kind of loan um and most people think that's not a problem until they need it and well you can't get it because instead of putting your cash in the bank and then taking it out if you want to um you just kept it in your pocket and your pocket is essentially like it didn't happen. Hmm. Well, okay. So let's jump back just a tad bit. So one of the pitfalls people get into with, with even W9 employees and well, there's two really that, that we see most commonly and a nowadays with the advent of, you know, Microsoft word and QuickBooks, it's so easy to create pay stubs we find fraudulent pay stubs all the time, don't we? We find people that we see uh, give us pay stubs that we can tell in two seconds that they've created. Yeah, I've got a pretty good eye for it. We all kind of do, but uh, it's not uncommon. Um, and it's, uh, I'd, I'd like to say it's uncommon, but it's also not very good most of the time. We're not, not going to take too much credit. There are some very good ones, but uh, there's there's trends like... If you downloaded this and sent, told me you downloaded it, sent it in a PDF, and I get a scan that's half, you know, computer text and all that, um, 
it's not only going to be questioned, it's going to be known. Um, it's, and it can be verified. You call it employee verifications with, with the increase in technology that allows you to make fraudulent pay stubs also has the increase of technology with being able to easily verify these things. So, and you can't just ignore it. You're, you're exactly right. And you're really good at spotting that. And, and the other thing that I find, I get this all the time when I'm running applications and, and we all, we all trained ourselves fairly well at looking at dates, right? We want to get the last 30 days of somebody's pay stubs and inevitably, I don't know, it happens. This is so common for people to send, not send this past week or to skip one or two in the middle. And then you're questioning why, right? And it's almost always there's a reason why. It's because, you know, they don't have that job anymore or, you know, their hours got reduced and they're trying to avoid showing you that by giving you, you know, last month's statements or pay stubs. Um, so that's a common trap that I think landlords could could fall into. It is, and it's a common trap that tenants fall into, thinking they need to spruce up their application. I've We've gone through this process with tenants that their real situation would have been acceptable, and they didn't get a rental because they submitted a, I don't even need to call it fraudulent, but mis- intentionally misleading um, application or pieces of it in order to try to spruce up or make it better, and it's just not the way to do it. Either you you qualify or you don't. End of the day, yeah. So we've we've talked a lot about fraud, right? And it's it's pretty prevalent, like you mentioned. Um, and that's the biggest thing with income verification that we're trying to protect ourselves from and our clients from. Um, anybody who's willing to commit fraud in an application when they haven't even been chosen yet tells you a lot about their character and who you're going to be dealing with, right? Yeah, I mean, it tells you a lot about what they'd be willing to do. I mean, what they'd be willing to do to uh, the property or work orders or, you know, be misleading about other things. You don't want to be misleading about how a hole ended up in the wall mm-hmm. or how the house caught on fire, you know, <laughs> the worst case things. Um, if you can't get a clear answer on just basic questions, uh, then you probably won't get a clear answer on basic questions later. Um, mm-hmm. And honesty goes a long way, especially in this business. So the bottom line on this is we're just looking for affordability, right? That's really, we want to make sure whoever we put in one of our homes or one of our clients' homes can afford to be there, right? That they show some kind of stability and and we're not going to be chasing them down for money. That's why people hire us. It is the why, but it's also mitigation too is a huge part um, because a lot of landlords have told me you know, why does it matter if I get my rent? You know, why do, why do these verification things matter if you get your rent? The why does it matter always comes down in pretty much all aspects of life is, well, what's the worst case scenario? Well, the worst case scenario is you get enough rent to move in and they don't pay another dime for as long as you'll let them be there without paying another dime, file an eviction, go through, they never show up to court, go through the eviction process and then find out after losing all that money that you had file against a fraudulent identification. So you can't take the real person. You didn't affect the actual person that, that lived there. And, you know, all over some verification processes that, that could have uh, been done at the beginning. Yeah. The Protecting worst. your investment. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. And the worst thing that I, I see landlords do 
is I hear stories about how they took money from somebody, right? Somebody had tenant came to them with cash ready to go and they just took it and didn't do all this due diligence that we're talking about today. And then they're dealing with exactly what you just described, right? They're dealing with the repercussions of it. They may have been fined for even a year, but the fact that this person had to come to you with cash and almost to get you to make a quick decision already tells you a lot about who you're choosing to put in your home. Yeah, I mean, you can't make judgments based on that. It's based on, you know, they they qualify after doing that, but it still does give you uh, some accuracy to what information you might get. And gut feelings do are not due diligence. Um, <laughs> gut feelings do not do math very well. They're usually well. wrong, too. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, whether they're wrong or they're right, they're not right or wrong for the right reasons. That's right. So You're right. Um, and they're not protecting your investment. That's a good degree. one. We need to write that one down, huh? What, we, gut feelings got, don't... Uh, <laughs> I see you already forgot it. I, I love it. That's why I should have wrote it down. <laughs> well, we fortunately, we have that on this podcast, so we've got it recorded. We'll, we'll, we'll get back to that. So, Kyle, just some other factors. Those are the, the main... The three main things that we're looking at, right? Those are kind of like our first three steps. And, and all of those steps, I've, we've had pretty good discussion now about every single piece of those to show how critical each one is and and helping make that selection so that a landlord is is not paying for it down the road by way of lost rent, vacancy or turnover costs from having to do repairs. I mean that's those are that's really what we're trying to avoid here by choosing the right person. Yeah, and- collections costs at, at the end of it yep. in the worst case i mean judgments from a judge don't get money in your pocket so yep. It, yep. generally it takes a collection agency that's getting a big cut of it and yep. you know you never actually get that judgment amount but regardless of that you're never shooting for an eviction you're never shooting for a collection <laughs> you're never shooting for right. past debt the, what you're <laughs> shooting for is rent to be collected and the property be returned at some point in the future in uh, comparable condition um, minus normal wear and tear. So, so, so you should I, select people that can do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and and and. But I feel like we skipped over rental verification a little bit, though, Kyle. I mean, yeah, you know, that's really important too for for the reasons you just said. And like you know, the old saying that insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. And that's really what rental verification is about. Mm-hmm. Is is let's find out what this person's past experience is leasing homes um, from the past landlord. Would they put this person back in one of their homes? Right. Yeah, and it's it's a it's a huge thing. Um, rental verifications are a big piece of that consideration because you're you're asking somebody who already made the ex- consideration you've made hopefully in a similar way, and already had the experience of whether it was right or wrong um, based on their property. I mean, it's not 100% accurate. It doesn't 100% correlate, but it does give you information from a similar a person that was at one point in your position and saw it through. So, And you can expect the same outcome is really kind of what I was getting at, right? So, like, whatever the outcome was there, you should expect the same outcome um, if you choose that person again. Yeah, no, not all landlords are perfect. I mean, sometimes there's situations where the tenant says, okay, well, this is what my t- landlord's going to tell you, and this is why it happened, this is what happened. Landlord backs that up and 
some of that may not have been all on, on the tenant, but the point is tenant gave us the situation before we asked the landlord. Yep, exactly. That perspective, that completed exactly. application part of it is huge yep. because if I go into a conversation with another landlord knowing your side of the story and I get a, you know their side of the story, I'm not going to make... You know, we're not we're not causing or middlemanning this thing at all. We're just hearing both sides and taking that into the application. So, yeah, um, it's all part of the consideration comp process, right? Um, and if we have a tough situation in the past, you know, but we've got somebody else with the same everything else is the same that doesn't have this tough situation. That's all going to be part of the selection process. Yeah, and this this may be helping or not helping, I, I don't know, but the, it's another piece of misinformation that is very common. Yep. And most people don't know that it's not just publicly available. You know, all these things aren't publicly available. Well, who owns a home is publicly available. <laughs> so when I get someone from New York and a, or, or whatever, like you, you have a New York number, the landlord has a New York number. I'm getting a rental verification from a Tennessee landlord and the name doesn't match, all that. And generally, we can. Generally, what we do, from being honest, is we find out who owns the home. We call them if they stated it was a landlord. You know, right. we, we do need the information from you. Right. But if I call that landlord, they're like, "Who, who, who is this?" We person? usually figure it out when the mother-in-law is is uh, put on the application as the landlord, right? So, um, <laughs> yeah. That's it's pretty easy to see through that. Let's talk about some other factors. Real well, when quick. the emergency contact matches the landlord, yeah, that's yeah, a there bit you of a go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, some other factors, Kyle. How about uh, pets? Pets play into it a little bit, right? We love pets. We take pets in most of our properties as long as you know logistically it works for that particular property. But it still has an impact on who we choose because there are some pets that will damage a property. Um, yes and no. It doesn't have an impact on the decision. It either that property before even taking applicants is decided whether pets are allowed. And sometimes those properties come with pet restrictions of, you know, can't have this breed or anything like that. But whether they have a dog or don't have a dog is not taken into the consideration. It's if you have a dog, does it qualify under the restrictions? Well, we take all that, so maybe this requires a little bit more explanation because we take that a lot further, don't we, Kyle? We we actually go through this screening process for pets, and so we know exactly, you know, whether they've been uh, uh, they've had all their their shots and and where they are, how old they are, how big they are. I mean, there's a screening process that we go through. Yeah, yeah, and that's more for make. The safety and liability of pets. Um, right. We have to verify some things about your pets to make sure that they can live in the home, whether they're in a complex or even in a subdivision neighborhood, there's still liabilities for the landlord and requirements that vaccines and, and stuff like that. So yeah, we screen them and make sure that those have been, what is required has been done. All right. So we'll put that in the more due diligence bucket. Mm -hmm. How's that, Kyle? Um, how about move-in date? Yeah, move-in date matters, and it's part of, a, this is one of our requirements, if you want to call it, but uh, this can vary by market, I guess, but hasn't really. <laughs> um, it needs to be in the near future if you're applying for an open property. Uh, that's because we are accepting rental applications for a rent rental, um, generally on behalf of our client, and 
it's our job to make sure we maximize uh, or minimize turnover time. So we can't consider applications in three months, in two months, uh, especially when it's a market and there's other people wanting to move in in two days, two weeks, um, on the first, whatever. Uh, so if you're the part of that that is included is if it's too far out, you know, we're not even going to consider it. We're, we'll tell you that. Um, and that as we get closer, if it's still open, we can consider that. So um, especially in a rental market like this, you can't leave stuff open for three months when it, there's crazy. 30 people that need a home for every yeah. one that's available. Yep. So, yeah. It, it's, it's bananas. I, I get, I, I get all the time. I get people calling me, looking for a rental property and they tell me that my it's I don't know, let's say it's June and they say, Mo, my 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 lease is up at end of September. Well, you know, you're you're looking you're looking for homes way too early, right? Everything that you find in September where you, when you would put an application in is gonna be long gone by then. So wait till September to look, wait till September to put in applications. I tell people when they call me, we're not going to accept anything longer than we're not gonna hold a property longer than 30 days. The reality of the current market that we're in is I'm not even gonna take anybody even for anywhere near 30 days because I probably have eight other really good applicants that are ready to move in a lot sooner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's, that's our job is what we have to pick based on um, all qualified applicants. It's the last data point. Yeah. So, and qualified and completed, (laughs) completed applications. So completed applications and move-in date are huge to getting it done. And that's it. That's really the biggest piece of the puzzle sometimes is those applications, right? The, the just getting people to complete and follow the instructions and complete the application is that's always for us kind of step one. That's yeah. And it's the, uh, honestly the most question, the number one question I get the most in the application part and tenant screening part is how long will it take you to run my app <laughs> rental application? Well, what's my nobody ever likes the, likes the answer. Well, as quickly as you can get us everything we need. That's right. So we try to make it less than three days, knowing that most people can't get us everything we need even in a three day period. But the timeline comes down far more than people realize to the applicant. If you take the time to like, so we took, we have taken the time to put very thorough instructions, extremely, extremely thorough. thorough instructions throughout from the beginning, what to expect at each point, what to submit, what we need, what will happen if we uh, don't get it, that it won't be ran until we have a full or this much of the application. Those things have been intentionally explained by us. So if you intentionally or unintentionally can't, take those explanations or neglect them or hope we don't consider something that takes the process longer. Um, and it, and depending on your situation, even if you submit a completed application, say you're not a W2, say you're, um, self-employed and we need a little bit more things or we have questions, those things can we're quick about asking them and submitting them to you. If it takes us a day and a half to get that answer. And then 30 minutes later, you're asking me, well, is it done yet? Um, no, it just sat there for a day and a half because we were waiting for an answer. That's what we needed. Yeah. Yeah. To to your point, I have literally come into the office, gotten an application that was completely 
100% ready to be processed with everything that we needed that was easy to verify everything we needed, able to run and call that person maybe an hour later and say, your application's been approved. Thank you for submitting everything. I'm going to send you a lease. What's our move-in date going to be or confirm our move-in date and go from there. And, and we're signing a lease in, in, you know, in an hour or two. It can be that easy. What I just described to you, Kyle, from your experience is extremely rare. It is extremely rare. It does happen. And I will say every time it happens, it shows on the application that they intentionally read and followed everything we asked them exactly. to do every time because there'll be comments of hey i'm emailing this to you after i can't i don't want to wait and i want to submit blah 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 but by the time say it's at night usually people do this at night by the time we get there to run the application it's in our email we still have everything we need um and it it, it shouldn't be as rare as it is but it is. And it's it's part of like what you said earlier. It's intentionally neglecting pieces of it or hoping we don't catch. Um, we always catch because we always follow the same process. We need all these points to approve an application. Without them, we can't approve it. Uh, without them, it's not completed or being considered. And that timeline can extend however long you want it to. So, But some by the time someone does approve it, that timeline's over. Or at least assigned, I should say. So, Kyle, the one I want to make, I want to talk about one more important thing. We could wrap this up. I think we we beat up tenant selection really good, <laughs> didn't we? We we I think we've done a really good job of demonstrating all the little ways that you could make mistakes, make bad decisions, which all turn into uh, how much money you make or don't make, right? In in those three areas we talked about. Yeah, and I think it's it's why we have the conversation is it's not just – I think it's important for not only landlords, property managers, but also tenants on both sides of the process to understand what's – why things are being asked, why why certain information is needed, and not, not only that, why things take longer. Why, you know, the whys behind all of it do matter to both parties, and if they, if they know them, if, they, if we tell them – They'll be more open to submitting it, right? It's just right. like why we won't run your credit report until we have the uh, completed application. That's not because we're just waiting until it's easy for us. That's not it at all. It's because if you don't, if we you finally submit your income and you don't qualify, I'm not going to hit you with a soft inquiry and mm-hmm. and all that. I mean, it's in your favor for us to not do it until it's completed. So. Right. Right. And that kind of gets me to, to kind of my final point. I mean, there's there's a lot of uh, property managers and people out there that use this process, especially in a market like this, to nickel and dime people to death, right? Potential applicants with their application fees, with their processing fees. I've seen so many different fees from property managers in this stage of the process. It boggles me. It Like, it doesn't seem like a... The win-win situation that you and I are trying to create for for our clients, it seems like you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot with all the fees. And then on the flip side, the tenants get frustrated, and rightly so, that they're having to put in application fees and then wait to see if they get if if they get that property. And then they've got to do it again with another property manager. And it may be it may be a similar situation to ours or it may be a harder process, right? Mm-hmm. And every every property manager has a different process. 
And it can be frustrating. And it can be. I get it. There's maybe no way around it, but it still can be extremely frustrating to the applicants. Well, and that's because, like you said, a lot of them are submitting multiple applications. Maybe they've been through this process seven times before, um, and they've paid on top of an app fee, an admin fee of $100 seven times before, and that racks up pretty quick, especially if you're just being told no at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think, and this kind of ties back to completed application or whatever but it those things tend to be non-refundable and there's not a lot of exceptions in the property management and the tenant screening um world i mean there's it there's rules that it there shouldn't be exceptions in a lot of pieces of it but if your application was never ran and you paid an application fee it makes sense to refund it um it's it's just one of those one of those factors that uh, can can go a lot of different ways depending on where you're applying, how you're applying. Um, and you could have good applicants that are just waiting to find out that they're the only applicant on this house and they're for sure going to get it if they apply and <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And uh, they could have been a great applicant. Well, if you're only charging them the cost to run their application on a, uh, you know, just Credit, report, credit reports cost money, those kind of things. But the mm-hmm. cost, not the cost to pay your employee, but the cost it takes to for the docs to run that application or you come close to it or, or that's pretty much what we do with our app fee pretty much just covers our cost right for all those screenings that you and i talked about yeah because they're paying because they want to be considered right not i want to be considered and consider if i want to pay you to consider me um i just want our tenants to submit an application to be considered on the property so and that's that's how we structure that to try to not incentivize against submitting an application with us for a property that you want. Good, good stuff, Kyle. I guess we could wrap all this up and kind of tie it in a bow with, with tenant selection. There's probably hardly anything that's more important than getting off to a good start by getting the right person in your property. So you can capitalize on that investment the way you intended to. Correct. Correct. And it's not, I say this all the time. It's not picking the right person like you have a person in mind. It's picking somebody who will do what is best for your investment, which is pay their rent on time and take care of the property. And if you can verify to the best of your ability that they can do those two things and they intend to do those two things, then you have a great potential tenant on your hands. And that's what you're looking for is a great potential tenant. Now, things are for sure (laughs) ever, but... So, yeah, when you have a close to a couple hundred properties that you're managing like we do, do some of those tenants that you maybe wouldn't put in slip through the cracks every once in a while? I mean, they, they do. But our process that we described just now, that we just spent the last 30 minutes or so describing, it goes a long way to protecting ourselves to make sure that we don't, you know, have that mistake or that that – that person in there that we don't want in there. It's a mitigation effort. It's yep. uh, go, you know, at least our process sent or doesn't make us the target of the easy landlord to take advantage of. Yep. You never want to be that person because yep. you're going to be the landlord that gets taken advantage yep. of the most amount of time. So it, that adds up, but there's no guarantees in this business. People don't, it's not always that people slip through the cracks. People's lives change. Situations change. Doesn't mean you placed a bad tenant. Doesn't mean you made a bad decision in the screening process. Those are realities of life. You know, when you 
when you made a bad decision or you didn't check hard enough, um, those that's things right. usually slap you in the face that's at right. the wrong time. And it's that's not really right. a question. So, and that's if you, right. if it's happened to you, you probably know what I'm talking <laughs> about, but if you're a landlord, especially had been for a long time, you also probably know that people's situations do change. So yeah. there's more than one factor in all of it. What do you got for us, Kyle? Well, it was a great discussion. So if you would like us to send you a rental estimate or just, you know, you want to be considered of what rents we can get you or just looked at or or any of that, um, send us an email at showmethemoney at wertpm.com. Uh, send us as little as your property list, your name, and we'll go look for it if you want us to. But um, we'll send you back a rental estimate free of commitment, free of charge, just to let you know what uh, what a great property manager could be doing for you. Yeah, we've been doing that for people, haven't we? Show me the money. So, yeah, um, reiterate what Kyle just said. Address, really, and what your current rents are. Really is, is I mean, the more information we have, the better. But yeah. if all we have is that, we can get back to you and let you know how much money we can make you by doing the things we talked about today and the things we've talked about in our past podcasts. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's a potential estimate, too, because it's about market rates. It's about what we can get you. It doesn't mean we're going to neglect completely your concerns of, hey, I have this tenant that's been here for 10 years. I don't want you to get them kicked out. Those are all case-by-case discussions. This is just, hey, if you're curious, you can have something show up in your email about what a great property manager can do for you. Yep. Treat it like a business. Plant your tree and then treat it like a business, right? And then watch it grow. And then watch it grow. <laughs> there you go. I love it. Good discussion, Kyle. Thank you very much. What are we gonna what are we gonna talk about next week? What's what's part four gonna be about? I wanna keep that a mystery for you do. everybody here. No, I'm just kidding. Tenant tenant turnover. Tenant turnover. Yep. Yep. The process in between. So there's a whole bunch we're gonna get into there about why tenants leave and and we've got a whole a whole list of of things that you can do to make sure you keep tenants long term. Yep. Yep. And if we uh, if we aren't here for you guys next week, another thing a great property manager does for you is educate themselves and network and find out uh, what's the best things to do in the industry. And by doing that, sometimes is going to a conference. So that's what we're going to be doing next week. Yeah, huh? we're that's gonna be what, doing that, that next week. So um, <laughs> we'll try to tune in. But if not, that's what we'll be. <laughs> right on. Right on. All right. Good job, Kyle. And um, close us out. Thank you guys for joining us. And don't remember or do we are tpm we are tpm <laughs>